Brought to you by Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, investing in local communities, economies, and a sustainable future. That's the power of global connections. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. Member SIPC. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen with David Gura. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on iTunes, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Jeffrey Sachs is with us. He's here in celebration of building the new American economy. And now we're going to talk about the big, the big uh, debate here right now. There we go. Building the new American economy. Let's go to the single best chart right now. Jeff Sachs knows this chart. This is the decline in manufacturing in America. And this is adjusted for population. It's a little bit of an odd chart, but all you got to know is it was grim and we've stabilized. How do we get an America, thank you, Detroit guy, built sex tough? I mean, not some liberal mamby-pamby kind of thing. How do we get tough about this and build a tough policy to boost trade and boost manufacturing? Tom, that's a great chart, but that is not a chart of American manufacturing. That's a chart of manu- manufacturing employment. Correct. That's different. Because manufacturing has increased, but employment has decreased, mainly because of productivity. And that's really important. We're down to 8% of employment in manufacturing right now because we're a service economy. But what's wrong with manufacturing? Nothing except the fact that it's robots doing it, smart systems. the technological advance. This this is a huge plus. These were a lot of jobs that uh, were... But then with the labor and right. the debate that we have with Brad DeLong at Berkeley, Danny Roderick at Harvard, Jeff Sachs at Columbia, what do you do about the labor that's been run over and voted for Senator Sanders, wrote the introduction to your book, right. or voted for President Trump? What do you do with those people who are, as John Von Reenen said, angry, angry, angry? First, you look at where did all of that income go. It went to the very, very, very top. This is the one thing we don't like to talk about in this country. The stock market is booming. The wealth is booming. And they want even more tax cuts right now. And that's the big problem. So instead of uh, some fairness in our system, Trump says we're going to blame the foreigners. So, of course, that's absurd. Or we're going to bring the jobs home when the jobs don't exist anymore. That's absurd. So this is a game. It's a game to take attention away from the fact that America is booming at the top. It's never been better in history. Right. But but playing devil's advocate, the problem is in certain cases, if you don't do those tax cuts, then businesses will move elsewhere. This was one of the things that Brexit under David Cameron or, you know, the UK was talking about all the time, is that if the world is not on a level playing field, then companies will move to Malaysia, they'll right. move to Singapore, and then the whole of the US actually loses out. We need a smarter tax system that collects more revenues, that is more fair, and that is investment friendly. That's not so hard to do because in uh, smart countries, uh, there's a reliance on more VAT collected that is then directed towards education, towards health, towards services, towards infrastructure. We undertax, we leave the rich with everything, 
and we don't therefore invest in the future. We don't help those that are left behind. So of course we need some tax reform, but not just to slash taxes. This is the mindlessness of our current situation. All right, Jeffrey, can you point a politician that would be able to do that correctly in a way that it means that he or she would actually be electable? If you got actually a group of people that really understand some basic public finance together, and I could rattle off quite, quite a large list of names, and you had a serious discussion with the lobbyists out of the room about producing three things. Efficiency, that means growth orientation, fairness, and adequate revenues. It's not so hard to come up with a good strategy. But it requires getting the lobbyists, uh, getting the billionaires, getting the greed out of the room and talking about right. the future for all Americans, not just a future for uh, the handful of, uh, of billionaires that, uh, that own uh, our Congress. Uh, we've been talking through the morning with Jeffrey Sachs of Columbia University, Building the New American uh, Economy. Uh, it is an important book around a theme that Jeff is, is known for, uh, which is sustainability, which is more intelligent use of resources. What's great about this book for conservatives and for liberals is it checks in at a large 130 pages. So it is an intense, short read on a prescription to do something. Jeff Sachs, wonderful to have you with us. What's so unique about Sachs economics is you don't whine, you don't complain. You say, here's the prescription to get America fixed. Is there anybody on the conservative side listening to Jeff Sachs? Today we see that uh, several of the leading Republicans are saying we need a, a carbon tax because we need to move to a new energy system. So that's a, a pretty positive development. Uh, President Trump's call for infrastructure, that's a positive development. What I've been saying for years is to get that done, we have to have politics in a different way that is a thinking politics a longer term, strategy making, even planning, a dirty word in America. But we need that because if we don't do that, we can have all the speeches in the world, but we're not going to get beyond our decrepit infrastructure. We're not going to get to a new energy system. So I do see that there is a strong middle ground. Uh, I'm not a partisan. I was very critical of uh, Obama's stimulus, for example, we talked about it at the time. I said it's all short term. It's not going to deliver anything for the long term. It's going to build up debt. So this is not a partisan left, right, Keynesian, non-Keynesian. This is saying that if you want a better America, you have to invest in it. It's not magical thinking. You have to invest. You can't uh, get it by uh, yelling and screaming uh, at foreigners. Uh, you can't get it by building walls. You can't have it by a new trade war. The way to a better America is investment, and that investment needs to be smart, meaning technological. It needs to be fair, meaning that everybody is benefited, and it needs to be right. sustainable, not going to 20th century energy, but to 21st but century Professor energy. The concern with that is that it takes a long time, right? If you fix America your way, it could take five, ten years. That and is it's, exactly um, right. Right? So it's a timeline, and often it's a timeline. It was a timeline with the euro. That you know, the problem that now the the people are uprising. They're not happy with the way it's going, and so you need a quick fix. Otherwise, this will continue, you know, forever. That's exactly right. You know, there are no short-term gimmicks to a long-term better future. And our politicians are just, uh, they're gimmicks. Uh, they're, most of them are useless, uh, worse than useless, because they're just distractions from what we need to do. I would call it 
the National Marshmallow Test, the famous psychological test of asking a child, you take that marshmallow now, or if you wait a few minutes, you can have two. Well, our country doesn't pass the marshmallow test right now. We are so short-term that we've been reduced to governance by tweets. By uh, I mean, It's unbelievable, uh, the failure of attention span now. But we have institutions like the National Academy of Sciences, the National Academy of Engineering, where if a president in Congress said to our lead engineers, who are the world's lead engineers, help us develop a real strategy for energy, a real strategy for fast rail, a real strategy for a national grid right. system for power transmission, we'd actually get somewhere. And by the way, I would remind every politician that the interstate highway system which was one of the big infrastructure projects during my lifetime, started in 1955 with Eisenhower, and it concluded 30 years later right. with Jimmy Carter. Where's 30 that, years. Okay. But where that, where that vision is is critical to talk about. There's a classic 1993 article, Jeff, I can't believe it's 24 years ago, Peter Pass on the New York Times on Dr. Jeffrey Sachs' shock therapist. Yes. And it was about Russia. In there, you do what you do, which you go to a country that was a model for Russia. In that case, it was Poland. Yes. Where's the model for the United States of America right now? By the way, the model for Poland that I put out in 1989 gave them 25 years of the most robust economic growth that they had in their modern history. When it came to Russia, unfortunately, Mr. Cheney in the White House, uh, in the Defense Department in 1992 said, no, that was a terrible mistake that we live with okay, today. Move it forward. Where's, moving, the, where's the model? Model today. The model today is to understand that we don't achieve growth in the United States because we don't invest. And we don't achieve fairness because we don't pay attention to fairness. We let greed rule by the powerful lobbies, Wall Street, uh, military industrial complex, big oil, big health care. It's given us an incredibly unfair society. So what we need is an investment-led strategy. And the three words that I think are crucial are smart, meaning technological. Second is fair, meaning that we are aiming for a society that has lower inequality than we have. And third, that is sustainable, meaning we don't need the Dakota Access Pipeline and the Keystone Pipeline, because those are the energy systems of the 19th and 20th centuries. What we need is offshore wind in the Northeast. We need massive solar from the Mojave Desert. We need U.S.-Canada cooperation on hydroelectric power from Canada's vast, clean uh, hydro resources. And if the engineers could be given a, just a little say, they could tell the American people a lot of very interesting things about why our infrastructure but Jeffrey, is collapsing and what we should do about it. But this is not only a problem in the United States. This is a problem that's sweeping across our Western democracies. We're seeing with Brexit. We're seeing it in European fears. How did we get to this point? It can't only be a redistribution problem. No, it, it is a, a problem of our democratic institutions being undermined by short-term lobbying. And I'm glad you said our Western societies, because China has invested successfully for 35 years to achieve very rapid economic development, not because it's unfair, but because it's been thinking ahead. And that's the big difference. So the countries that succeed 
uh, even in the West, and I will say that uh, Scandinavian countries, for example, have done well, they routinely have 20 or 30-year scenarios, whereas the United oh. States has none. And now we have a, a president uh, that wants to govern by Twitter. And this is, of, of course, the kind of absurd <laughs> conclusion, illogical conclusion of this trend towards short-termism. Jeff Sachs, thank you so much for coming in. Jeffrey Sachs is at Columbia University. Smarts, fair, and sustainable. A title of the uh, a really thoughtful monograph, Building the New American Economy. It is short, brief, and intense about where we need to go. It is a manifest, as he says, not just for liberals and conservatives, but for all wondering about American education and American business and the incentives to make for uh, a better America, even for uh, the people that listen to Bloomberg uh, surveillance. Brought to you by Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, dedicated to bringing our clients insights and solutions to meet the challenges of a transforming world. That's the power of global connections. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated member, SIPC. Let me get in one quick question here with Sir Martin. Francine, I want you to get over here with Sir Martin Sorrell and talk about Brexit and all the other important questions. Sir Martin, I just saw you on your phone. You're bidding for Tom Brady's jersey. Are you really? Are you? Is this, are you one that was stolen, are, you mean? Yeah, the one that was stolen. You and David Rubenstein are, are like bidding each other are, are to, to, to buy this to put it in the Library of Congress, How right? How do you know who he's bidding for? David Rubenstein bids for everything oh, American. Okay. Help right. me here with the Super Bowl, the ads. Are those ads still effective? I mean, does traditional TV bowl ads, do they still work? Well, well sort of the, the death of television is exaggerated. We have many guests that strongly agree with you. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it on a worldwide basis, if you look at our own Group M forecasts uh, around the world for television as a proportion of total spending, it still remains pretty constant around the 40% level worldwide. Obviously, Internet continues to grow more rapidly and making incursions. If I look at our where we distribute with our clients our $75 billion of media spend each year. Uh, the, the lead investment now is, is Google at around $5 billion. Second largest is in the Murdoch empire, which is the, the only really truly global uh, media investment around two and a quarter billion. And the third one would be Facebook at about 1.7 billion. So, yeah. and Facebook grew last year from one to 1.7. Google grew from about four to five. Uh, so what you see is obviously internet investment, digital investment growing and continue to grow rapidly, increasing their market share. But linear TV, uh, classical network television, is certainly there is some pressure. Uh, but the over-the-top uh, opportunities, and you mentioned uh, Super Bowl. I mean, we're involved in expanding the over-top television, what is called Game Pass for the NFL, uh, around the world. And there's particularly interesting opportunities around the world for for franchises such as the NFL in over-the-top. Formula, Formula One right. uh, is so, another example of that. I'm an American. I don't know what Formula One is. <laughs> <laughs> Francine, okay, we'll Naz explain it. Intelligent NASCAR. Oh, intelligent there NASCAR. Go. Good. Francine, there jump go. in here. Sir Martin always has a way of words. Um, Sir Martin, look, talk to me. You know, let's have fun. Do you think that Donald Trump, the President Trump, will actually bring Bring bad, mad men back? 
In what? In which? In which way, Francine? Explain going back yourself. to going back to like sixty years. Is it? Is this the kind of? Are we going back to the, the glory days of America, where manufacturing is back and advertising, and people have whiskeys at, at midday? Well, I don't think, I don't think uh, advertising is ailing. I mean, if I pick out advertising, I don't think it's ailing now. It's just a different type, and creativity has changed markedly from the days of Don Draper. Don Draper wouldn't recognize seventy-five percent of what WPP does in uh, outside. Let's call it traditional creative but the the definition of creative i mean data data analysts can be creative even financial directors can be creative yeah. sometimes too creative but it, it's it's a it's a question of the definition of what the creative product is and data uh, and insight are increasingly the difference between now and the 60 years ago that you mentioned is that we're now starting by analyzing data to try and to, to try and learn key, key insights yeah. that we then develop media plans for and then created from those media plans. Will President Trump be good for business? Uh, I think in the US, yes, certainly in the short term. I can't talk to the long term, but I think in the short to medium term, let's say the next two to three years prior to the next election, there's a sort of it seems to be if if he gets his way on infrastructure investments or what he said, if he reduces taxes, if he brings back uh, repatriates profits, that's going to be stimulative in the US economy. It'll create, in my view, a sort of Keynesian, we'll be back to where we were uh, not 60 years ago, but a few years ago when we had uh, boom and bust or the, bo- the the threat of bust. And so we'll probably get a bit more inflation. There'll be an inflationary-led boom maybe going into right. the next election. Internationally, Francine, I don't know. I mean, what you gain on the swings in the UK, you may lose on the international. Very market. quickly on the time, a short visit today, Sir Martin. What's your counsel to brand building for Jeff Bezos? He's firing on all cylinders. Amazon is beginning to brand. But how do they get to that next level? What is your counsel for brand Amazon? Well, I, I just try and answer the question, Tom, in a, in a, in a different way. Um, if you if you ask my favorite question was you know what keeps you awake at night or when you wake up in the morning what worries you if you ask clients that or people that uh, media owners that the the answer that is uh, sort of uh, almost always there is Amazon so uh, the Amazon brand uh, has, has become extremely threatening actually in in many senses. Uh, in many places, and people are sitting. I mean, Jeff Bezos controls Amazon. He, he's not controlled by quarterly earnings, by the the focus on the short term. He can make the long term bets. And if you look at things like the cloud, uh, you know, it has a, a, a dominant position in the cloud right. or a growingly dominant position. Uh, ironically, his competitors have to buy capacity from him. So, uh, if you look at the areas in which, if you look at content, if you look at uh, proportion of sales of various right. products you know you look at diapers oh. for example the diaper category of which i'm particularly interested in at the moment if you look at that uh for example ex- increasing dominance of well, those categories so the amazon brand actually I, i'm not sure he has to do too much Tom. okay actually. we're it's, out it's of a time very strong the next time you come back yeah. i want to talk to you about something you said in davos about expense management and expense reduction is being the problem of corporate America. Focus I on really, the short term. Really Focus want to on come back today. Sir Martin Sorrell with us. Too short today. Francine Laquan, London. I'm Tom Keane in New York. This is Bloomberg. I picked up the book and I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, great, great. The third wave, an entrepreneur's vision. And then I opened it 
And it was absolutely brilliant. Steve Case uh, just did one of the great unexpected triumphs of a year or so ago uh, in the third wave. It is a hugely thought-provoking pre-Trump book. He joins us from an embattled Washington. They've flown in Steve Case to... uh, uh, explain to the president how to efficiently tweet, I guess, is, is the thing. Steve, wonderful to speak to you. Good you basically, you, you essentially invented, with a good uh, a group of people at AOL, our new method of communication. Uh, what do you think of the president tweeting policy and tweeting the discourse forward? Are, are, did you, do you regret that you invented this? <laughs> no, I think obviously the Internet's had a profound impact. We started AOL here in the D.C. area now 32 years ago. Only 3% of people are online. They're only online one hour a week. So we said we want to get America online, get the world online. Obviously, that's happened. I think there are a lot of benefits. Uh, at the same time, maybe you know, some people, some of us spend too much time online. Maybe now, maybe we spend too much time on email, for example. Maybe yeah. maybe the president shouldn't be getting up in the morning and tweeting. I, I think I'm a little surprised by that. But at the same time, it, yeah, he, he clearly, part of the reason he is the president, he recognized right. the Internet and social media was a way to reach a lot of people directly. And he did that quite uh, creatively, but, but using you know, Twitter and, and other other kinds of things. So it's not a complete shock that he's still doing it, but I think in, in, in general, yeah. some of these policy issues are kind of complicated. They're, they're nuanced. Some of the global issues are obviously very, there's some subtleties to it, and probably the diplomacy should happen more face-to-face or by phone, not by 140-character right. tweets. Chapter 11 in your book, America Disrupted. And what people don't know is there's a flyover zone. We all get that, East Coast, West Coast. And you're associated with Washington and, and Silicon Valley and all that. You grew up in the ultimate flyover zone, which is Hawaii. Right. I mean, you grew up like totally fly, yeah. flyover. How do we get, whether it's Hawaii or Oklahoma, how do we get the rest of America reengaged in our technological economy? Well, I think that's a big issue. And thank you, by the way, for the kind comments about the book. Coincidentally, just yesterday, I finalized the revisions to it. We have the paperback version coming out in April, added a new chapter, including some of the lessons learned from the from the Trump uh, election uh, victory and some of the you know the thing the feedback I got on the book. We kind of expanded different chapters, added some some new things. So it'd be interesting to get your views when it comes out in in, uh, in, in mid-April. But one of the key themes of the book, as you mentioned, was we call the rise of the rest. How do we make sure everybody everywhere has a shot at the American dream? Part of the, the Trump victory was that he, he tapped into a, a feeling from a lot of people in the middle of the country uh, that they felt left behind by, by digitization. They felt left behind by globalization. And they were frustrated. And they were seeing you know, innovations in places like Silicon Valley benefit a few but not benefit them. And, and they got mad. And they, so they were lashing out. That was part of what drove the, you know, the, the, the Trump uh, you know, a victory. I think we need to be listening to that. And Silicon Valley needs to be listening to that. The, the, the data here is, is sort of sobering. Uh, last year, if you added up all the states that, that uh, President Trump won, it was 32 33 states. In aggregate, all those states last year got just 15%, 1,5% of venture capital. California alone got 50, 50%. So California alone got three times more venture capital last year than more than 30 states in the middle of the country. And that's important because startups create the jobs. It's not the small businesses, it's not the big businesses, it's the young high growth startups that create the jobs both directly for their companies and more broadly in the communities in terms of the, the, the you know, other jobs would be construction workers or you know, restaurants Steve- or what have you that, that help service those, those, uh, those communities. So if we're only investing in startups in a few places like California, New York, and Massachusetts, and not in places like 
Ohio or Michigan or Pennsylvania or Illinois or other places, we shouldn't be surprised that you're seeing the, the downside of technological innovation and job destruction, but you're not seeing that offset, at least in part, by job creation from startups in those cities. So we have to figure out how to get more capital to more entrepreneurs in more places so everybody really does feel like they have a, a real shot and you know including a shot at the, Steve, the American even if dream. People listen, even if people listen, how do you address it? I mean, do we stop innovation? Do you stop artificial intelligence? In, you know, when you look at the way that robots will take over our lives more and more, it will displace people and you can't retrain a workforce in the time that it takes for robots to take our jobs. Well, I'd say yes and no. I mean, it's worth remembering that 200 years ago, over 90% of us worked on farms. Now it's less than 2%. And 88% are not unemployed. They, they did get new skills because we created new industries. We created the Industrial Revolution. We created the Technology Revolution. We need to make sure this country creates the next revolution that can create some of the jobs that will offset some of the jobs right, that will be Right, but we also had a lost. war in between. We had many things in between, but we, we, we emerged from essentially the way I remind people, particularly here in Washington, D.C., that 250 years ago, America itself was just a startup. It was just an idea, a pretty fragile idea. Now it's the leader of the free world because it has the leading economy. And that wasn't an accident. It was the innovators, the entrepreneurs first in that agriculture revolution, then in the industrial revolution, more recently, obviously, this technology revolution that led the way. And we went from being this tiny little fragile startup nation to having the leading economy and being the leader of the world. So how do we keep doing that? I and mean, how do we do that? in a way that's more inclusive. That means we have to be backing more entrepreneurs in more places and figure out how to get the capital, not just to the entrepreneurs in San Francisco and New York City and, and Boston, but also the entrepreneurs in Chicago and St. Louis and Madison and Detroit and Des Moines and, and New Orleans. All, the, the, the entrepreneurs there are building great companies, but they struggle to raise the capital because most of the venture capital is just focusing on the coast. That has to change, and hopefully one of the, the side benefits of the election of Donald Trump is it, that will be a, a, a wake-up call. Right, but Steve, I mean, again, how much evidence is there that there's a lot of people and entrepreneurs hungry for that? We hear that from, oh, very, from plenty. banks. It's right, but hear me out. We hear it from banks all the time. That bank CEO says, right, well, they say you need to lend, you need to lend. But actually, they don't know who to lend to, right? Well, so, so it can't be only a problem that there's not enough money in venture capitalism going into some of these places. No, it is a problem. I, I, the last three years, I've, I've traveled by bus through the, through the United States, uh, visited 26 cities, uh, 6,000 miles, and they're and met thousands of entrepreneurs, and they're great entrepreneurs building great companies in all the cities I've, I've, I visited. Just last week, we at my firm, Revolution, announced an investment in a company in Chicago called Uptake. This company didn't exist three years ago. Now has 700 employees, growing like crazy. You know, they have 55 data scientists. Uh, they're doing some interesting partnerships with big companies like Caterpillar and others to try to figure out <clears> ways <throat> to use kind of precise analytics to be predictive of what's going to happen in some of these these industries. That's in Chicago. Most people think. That kind of company with 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 you know that, that many engineers and, and data scientists could only be in Silicon Valley. Yeah. It only could be in Boston. No, it's in Chicago. And, and similarly, there's a company in Indianapolis called Exact Target that Salesforce bought a couple years ago for three billion dollars. Under Armour is in Baltimore. They're worth something right. like twenty billion dollars. Well, so there are great companies all across the country, but the focus of the media and certainly the focus of the investors is only on the coast, and it has to change. Jeff Immelt did a blurb for your book. And again, folks, it's a wonderful book, The Third Wave. 
Jeff Immelt is reindustrializing an industrial icon. Uh, arguably, folks, Mr. Immelt was my CEO of the year two years ago. I'm sorry, Steve, you weren't it. Uh, <laughs> and what Jeff's doing to me is almost a metaphor of what, what the entire country has to do. How do we take GE Jeff Immelt? creative disruption down to a mid-sized or small-sized mom-and-pop company? Well, I think Jeff is doing a great job turning around one of America's greatest you know, companies, but it's a big company. It's kind of like an aircraft carrier. It's hard to, hard to turn around and you know, work with, together on a number of things. Actually, at the South by Southwest conference in a couple of months, I'm going to be doing a panel with Beth Comstock, the vice chair of there, who's done a lot of things around uh, innovation. So I think GE is a good example. I, mean, I talk about it, as you mentioned in, in the book, The Third Wave, that there are companies, even if they've they're, they're got scale, that aren't just trying to play defense. They're trying to play offense. Yeah. They're trying to lean in the, in the future, and they're trying to figure out ways to partner with lots of people outside of their companies, including, as you say, some small businesses. Right. I joined Jeff last year. They hosted a conference in Columbus, Ohio, brought together some of the, you know, the yeah, you know, I did growing that. mid-sized companies. I did that. Did yeah. you did you see the number of bars as you went down to the conference center at the business school? Did you see the number of bars Ohio State has? Yeah, they, they seem to have. Yeah, they're pretty good at a bunch of things. Including, you know, they're good at football. They also seem to make sure it was they're, unreal. They're, 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 there's beer Steve, for all. So Steve, I, no, it was, but it was it shows that the leadership yeah. Jeff and GE were playing, trying to support companies mostly in the middle of the country that were rapidly okay. growing companies. Steve, we got we run out of time. We'll talk about Ohio State bars next time. Steve Case, the book is the third wave an entrepreneur's vision of the future look for the new edition soon thanks for listening to the bloomberg surveillance podcast subscribe and listen to interviews on itunes soundcloud or whichever podcast platform you prefer i'm out on twitter at tom keen david gura is at david gura before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio. Brought to you by Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, dedicated to bringing our clients insights and solutions to meet the challenges of a transforming world. That's the power of Global Connections, Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated Member, SIPC.